Well, those are definitely appropriate songs for us to sing this morning as we turn back to Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to look again at this classic text that I assume the majority of you are familiar with. This is where we find the clearest teaching in all of the Word of God on spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll be reading verses 10 through 20, the same verses that our kids uh, quoted for us this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Father, that seems to be an appropriate prayer. For me to pray at this moment that you would grant me utterance so that as I open my mouth to make known the mystery of your word, the gospel in particular, that I would be a faithful ambassador speaking clearly, speaking accurately, speaking boldly as I ought to speak. And Lord, that you would use the preaching of your word today to help us to know what you want us to know so we can be who you want us to be. Lord, I pray that we would all be receptive and responsive to you as you speak to us this morning through this text. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, John Bunyan is best known for his classic book, The Pilgrim's Progress. Ever since it was published in 1678, this brilliant allegory of the Christian life, which follows the journey of Christian uh, or pilgrim uh, from the city of destruction to the celestial city, has taken its place as second only to the Bible, as far as most read books by believers. What many people don't know, however, is that during that same 12-year imprisonment uh, that Bunyan spent for refusing to to stop preaching, uh, he wrote another fascinating allegory called The Holy War. How many of you have ever read The Holy War? Any of you? A few of you? Okay. Put it on your uh, bucket list of books to read. 
and, and perhaps this will entice you. Let me read for you the very beginning of Bunyan's Holy War. And I quote, In this gallant country of the universe, there lies a pleasant and peaceful municipality called Mansoul. The picturesque architecture of this town, its convenient location, its superior advantages cannot be equaled under heaven. Once upon a time, a mighty giant named Diabolos made an assault upon this famous town of Mansoul. (coughs) Excuse me. He tried to take it and make it his own habitation. This giant was the terrible prince of darkness. He was originally one of the servants of King Shaddai, who had placed him in a very high and mighty position. Knowing they had lost their positions and the king's favor forever, Diabolos and his rebels turned their pride into hatred against Shaddai and his son. They roamed about in fury from place to place in search of something that belonged to the king on which to take their revenge. At last, they happened to find this spacious country of the universe, and they steered their course toward the famous town of Mansoul. Considering it to be one of the chief works and delights of King Shaddai, they decided to make an assault upon the town. When they found the place, they shouted horribly for joy and roared as a lion over its prey, saying, Now we have found the prize and how to take revenge on King Shaddai for what he has done to us. Excuse me. So they called a council of war and considered what methods they should use to win this famous town of Mansoul for themselves. This is a vivid description of the spiritual war that is constantly raging between Satan and the saints of God. In fact, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, talks about. Satan as the serpent of old, the dragon, and how he was enraged and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. You and I are man's soul. Satan, or Diabolos, is furiously seeking to take revenge on God for casting him out of heaven. And we are the prime target of his revenge, because he knows that by attacking the saints, he's attacking the very heart of God. So like a ferocious lion, he relentlessly stalks us, watching and waiting for just the right moment to pounce on us so that he can devour us and destroy us, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And so... The question for us this morning is, with such a daunting adversary, with such a formidable foe, how in the world can we ever expect to not be duped or worse, destroyed by the devil? Well, we have here, in this last chapter of the book of Ephesians, everything we need to know about our evil nemesis, Satan, And what it takes to stand against him. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, thank you, Nick. As I mentioned earlier, this is the clearest instruction uh, in all of God's word about the armor of God or spiritual warfare. And so I mentioned last week that that I liken Paul here to a seasoned war hardened general, rallying some raw recruits and briefing them for battle. And he laid out a strategy which involves four tactics 
for standing firm against the attacks of Satan and his forces. Last week we looked at the first tactic, how we must solely rely on our commander. We must solely rely on our commander. And in the first two verses here, verses 10 and 11, Paul barked out two commands which emphasize how dependent that we need to be on the power and protection that God provides. The first command is that we need to be courageous. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We need to be continuously strengthened and empowered by the Lord himself. In other words, we can't rely on our own strength. And I mentioned how Paul's order here was similar to when God ordered Joshua to be strong and courageous as he was about to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And then the angel of the Lord showed up uh, in the form of a warrior to remind Joshua who the real commander was and and whose battle it really was, which just boosted uh, Joshua's confidence and dependence on the Lord. And I think that's what Paul is doing here, is he's, he's wanting us to be confident in and dependent on the strength that God provides and the suit of armor that God provides. Notice he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I didn't point this out last week, but if you go back to chapter 1, this phrase, the strength of his might, is how Paul described the power that's available to us as believers. Notice first uh, Ephesians 1, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working, here it is, of the strength of his might. You say, well, what is that? What is the strength of his might? Look at verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and all power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And so the very power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead and exalt him to the highest place in the universe is the very same power that we can tap into uh, in this spiritual war that we're all a part of. And based on Paul's own combat experience and, and personal struggles with the enemy, he discovered that God was the strongest when he was what? The weakest. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, another good illustration of spiritual warfare here. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that, in other words, God had allowed Paul to go to heaven on a number of occasions and to keep him humble, he said, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that, I might, that it might leave me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So God allowed Satan to afflict Paul in some way, we don't know exactly how, uh, to keep him humble and to keep him dependent so his power could be put on display in his life. And so I think the idea here is that we simply need to uh, humbly admit how weak we are in and of ourselves, that, that we are no equal for Satan on our own. And we, we need to be desperately dependent on the Lord. Well, the second command here is to be armed, is to be armed. Notice uh, what he says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. At salvation, God provides every soldier in Christ an impenetrable set of protective gear to protect us from the relentless onslaught of enemy forces. And We know Paul goes on in verses 14 to 17 to describe each piece of this divinely issued armor. We're going to be unpacking each one of those over the next six Wednesday nights. But but the point is that every piece of spiritual armor has been forged by God and is vital for our survival. And the only way we'll ever be able to stand our ground against, against satanic schemes is if we are fully armed all the time. So again, just reviewing here from last week, the the, the first tactic that we must employ as Christian soldiers is to solely rely on God's power and God's protection. But that's not all. We also need to be aware of the awesome power of who and what we're up against. Unless we know who they are and what they can do, we will have a difficult time defeating them. So the second tactic here that that Paul gives us as that war general is that we need to wisely know our enemy. We need to wisely know our enemy. Notice what he goes on to say here. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Again, a description of the devil and his demons. Now, I think it's important to mention here that when it comes to the devil and demons, there are, there are two extremes that we need to avoid. We must not underestimate their power, nor should we exaggerate their power. We must not underestimate their power, nor should we exaggerate their power. Now, there are some who don't even believe that there is such a thing as the devil. Um, they don't even believe in demons, um, they, they think they're just a, a figment of our imagination, perhaps an idea that our parents came up with to scare us, right, to make us obey, um, or, or that Hollywood, Hollywood uses, us to, uses to spook us or to entertain us. 
I mean, you know as well as I do that the, the demonic influence, um, the devil is the frequent subject of popular movies, TV series throughout the ages, right? Decades of movies like The Exorcist and Amityville Horror and Insidious and Annabelle and The Conjuring and The Order and It and you fill in the blank. And, and for those that maybe aren't into that horror freak yourself out genre, um, which I've always told my kids, guys, listen, you, you want to watch movies, whatever you want to watch, that's your decision. But listen, I'm telling you, don't watch those kind of movies because that's, that's real stuff. You don't want to mess with that stuff. And, and while Hollywood thinks it's a great way to make some money and, and entertain some people and scare some people, I mean, you don't mess around with that paranormal, demonic, satanic uh, stuff. For those that aren't into that and like, yeah, I don't like that stuff anyway, well, I think the, the rest of the world perhaps often trivializes the devil by portraying him as a cute little red guy with horns, right, a pointy tail, a pitchfork. I think about this every time I go to Torchy's Tacos. That's why we just need to stick with Chick-fil-A, you know, <laughs> the, the Lord's Chicken, safe over there. But uh, hey, if you want to risk it going to Torchy's Tacos to get a breakfast taco, I did this week, in fact, so I just kind of kept looking over my shoulder when I was in there making sure I was okay. Well, that, that's one end of the spectrum, okay, that, that we, we underestimate, we trivialize, right, the devil and demons. On the other end of the spectrum, there are many who have a morbid preoccupation with the devil and demons, and they're so obsessed with the devil and demons that they live in fear and confusion, and they think Satan is behind everything, and they blame everything on the devil, including their sin. Well, the, I, I mean, the devil made me do it. You say, well, how do I avoid these two extremes, whether it's fabrication, it's just something make, made up, um, or, or, or this fascination uh, with, the, with the extraterrestrial world or whatever, the paranormal world, the spirit world. Um, I think the key here is to make sure we draw our understanding of the spirit realm from the pages of Scripture alone, and not what you, you know, watch on TV or seeing a movie or even maybe some books you might read, I think um, it's important that we all have a healthy angelology. You familiar with the angelology? It's the theology of angels. And I think it's very important right off the bat to, to know that, that the devil is an angel. Demons are angels. They're fallen angels. And so if you want to learn about the devil and demons, you have to go to the Bible and say, hey, let's look at what the scripture teaches about the angels. And, and, uh, and notice, again, how this all starts here in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, the, the methodia in the Greek, which was a word used of of wild animals who would stalk their prey and unexpectedly pounce on them. Again, the same imagery of that lion that Peter used in 1 Peter 5.8. But Paul here was referring to the many, the many devious tactics and, 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 and crafty strategies that the devil uses to trick us and take advantage of us and get a foothold in our lives and lead us astray. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11... 
He said, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. In other words, hey, if you're you're ignorant of Satan's schemes, he's going to take advantage of you. But but if you're wise to his wicked ways, he won't be able to, 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 uh, to lead you astray. Those of you that are into sports, and, and particularly football, you know one of, the, one of the main ways that football coaches prepare for a game is to watch the tapes of their upcoming opponent. And they get the game tapes, right, from the previous games, and they sit there and they watch them over and over and over again, and, and, and they analyze the other team's strategy and the kind of offense that they use and their defensive structure, and they observe their strengths and their, their weaknesses and where they'll try to ex- exploit them and where they can take advantage of them, and they look for specific patterns and, and, and special plays, and they try to get inside the, the mind of the other coach and anticipate his every move. And how well you know your opponent can make the difference between winning and losing. Well, God has provided us a, a game tape, if you will, of our opponent. It's this thing right here. It's the Bible. And the Bible shows us everything we need to know about the devil and demons. So what do we know about our enemy from God's word? Well, first of all, we know where he came from. We know where he came from. Turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, this may seem like a strange place to build, begin building our theology of Satan and his demons, but here we find in Ezekiel chapter 28, a historical reference to the king of Tyre, who was one of the enemies of Israel. And it's interesting, as you read this account in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 15 to 18, while it is referring, first and foremost, in its historical context to the king of Tyre, you can't help but apply these words to Satan, who was inspiring this evil king, um, who was empowering this evil king, um, and so let's listen to what it, and, and, and there's a reason why Bible scholars, uh, many Bible scholars equate these, uh, this king, the king of Tyre, as a, as a type of Satan, if you will, or, or a picture of Satan, maybe is a better way to say it. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, for the midst of the stones, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason. Of your splendor, I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you by the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade. You profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see. Now turn over to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And again, we have another historical reference to the king of Babylon. This is Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. And here Israel is taunting the king of Babylon. 
talking about the, the judgment that is to come upon him. But again, who inspired all of these evil kings who came against God's people? Well, it was Satan himself. And so the, the words that apply to the literal king of Babylon also apply to the spiritual force behind him, the one who uh, inspired him and empowered him. Notice Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have, been weakened. You have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, and here we have the five, what, what Bible scholars call the five I wills of Satan. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, if you know the book of Daniel, this sounds very much like the words, the proud words of King, uh, of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, don't they? Again, he was just reflecting um, his power source, if you will, the, the one who was really behind his, his wicked, prideful reign. Verse 15, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you, saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home? So again, want to be careful here that we don't spiritualize scripture or allegorize scripture but again we we, we are on, on, on safe ground here understanding that in the same way there's types of christ in the old testament right um you could say there's types of satan uh in the old testament and so this is where we these two texts are where we draw some of our initial thoughts about who satan is and where he came from and again just the fact that that the bible says uh, that we are to put on the full armor of God implies that there is a war going on. Not an actual, literal, physical war, but a spiritual war that is very real nonetheless. And the, you say, well, where did the war begin? Well, the war began in eternity past when Lucifer, uh, who was the most powerful and beautiful angel God ever created, got conceited. And he wanted to be worshipped like God. He wanted to be exalted on the same level as God. And, and when God said, no, I don't share my glory with anyone, he led a revolt against God, and God cast him out of heaven along with a third of the angels who followed him in his rebellion. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, turn there. This is another interesting passage where we build our theology of, of Satan. By the way, if you remember in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, as we're getting there, uh, one of the qualifications of an, of an elder is that he shouldn't be a new convert so that he'll not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Another little helpful tidbit there to realize what was the, the, what's behind all sin. What was the original sin? It was pride. And, and it's really behind every other sin that's ever been committed uh, is pride. The, 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 again, the, the unholy Trinity, me, myself, and I. But look at Revelation chapter 12. Again, here's um, the prophecy of 
of, of the end times, the great tribulation, but it, 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 it's kind of retro, it kind of goes back in time and talks about uh, this dragon or Satan. This is Revelation 12, 3, then another sign appeared in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and on his heads were seven diadems and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth he might devour her child and she gave birth to a son, a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to, to God in his throne. Notice verse 7, and there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels. So you've kind of got Lucifer and his angels, right? And you've got Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, again, reference to the devil, right, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And so ever since Satan got kicked out of heaven, he and his minions have been actively and aggressively waging war now on earth. They lost the war in heaven. Now they're waging war on earth, and they're striving. They've been striving in vain for for, for thousands of years to overthrow God and his kingdom and doing whatever they can to thwart God's work. And we know his first attack on earth came where? In the garden, where he took the form of a serpent, this, the serpent of old as he's described here in Revelation 12, and he deceived Adam and Eve and he got them to rebel against God by sinning against him. And in that initial assault, Satan succeeded in recruiting the entire human race to join his cause. And every, ever since, every person who's been born and will be born is born a prisoner of war. You are a captive of Satan from the moment you're conceived. And you're doomed to go to hell with Satan. Well, the good news is that at that dark moment in human history, God promised to send a warrior, a savior, who would one day defeat and destroy Satan forever. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he was handing out the curses to the man and the woman and to the devil, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Talking about how Christ would come and, and, and crush Satan's head. And that's exactly what happened. God eventually sent his son Jesus to this fallen, sin-cursed, war-torn planet to conquer Satan, death, and hell. And Jesus resisted every single one of Satan's attacks against him, and he disarmed and defeated Satan when he died and rose again. So, we are fighting, like I said last week, a defeated foe, but even though Jesus delivered a death blow to Satan on the cross and through his resurrection, he is still at work in this world. 
How many of you guys had ever had the, I'm asking the guys, maybe not the gals, although I would send my wife out because I'm deathly afraid of snakes, okay? How many of you guys killed a snake, okay? And what do you, how do you normally kill him? What's the, what's the strategy? What's the method? Take off his head, right? You take off his head. But that's when it gets really weird because you cut the snake's head off and you think you killed that snake, but what does the rest of the body do? Just kind of eerily kind of keeps moving. And you're like, okay, this is creepy. I think there's a, a profound spiritual lesson in the neurology of a headless snake. In fact, I'll never forget a few years back reading a, a, an article in Christianity Today about a missionary couple who was stationed in the jungle. And this is how the story goes. Uh, in their own words, one day an enormous snake, much longer than a man, slithered right through their front door into the kitchen of their simple home. Terrified, they ran outside and searched frantically for a local who might know what to do. A machete-wielding neighbor came to the rescue, calmly marching into their house and decapitating the snake with one clean chop. The neighbor reemerged triumphant and assured the missionaries that the reptile had been defeated. But there was a catch. He warned it was going to take a while for the snake to realize it was dead. For the next several hours, the missionaries were forced to wait outside while the snake thrashed about, smashing furniture and flailing against the walls and windows, wreaking havoc until its body finally understood that it no longer had a head. Sweating in the heat, they had felt frustrated and a little sickened, but also grateful that the snake's rampage wouldn't last forever. And at some point in their waiting, they had a mutual epiphany. Do you see it? Asked the husband. Satan is a lot like that big old snake. He's already been defeated. He just doesn't know it yet. In the meantime, he's going to do some damage, but never forget, he's a goner. And so when Jesus died on the cross and reemerged from the grave triumphant, he conquered or decapitated Satan and sealed his eternal doom. But Satan is at present, still thrashing around and wreaking havoc in this world and will continue to do so until Jesus returns and banishes him to hell for all eternity. So, that's where Satan came from. That leads us to the second thing we can know from God's word. What is he doing right now? What is he doing at present? Well, God has permitted Satan to reign as the ruler over the earth. He has delegated authority, and therefore limited authority. Another helpful text is the book of Job. Uh, Satan couldn't just do whatever he wanted to Job, right? He said, you can do this and this and this, but just don't, right, touch this. Don't take his life. And so while Satan uh, does have power, it's limited power, and he must ultimately submit to God. But John 12, 31 says it this way. Jesus said, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Refer reference to Satan. 1 John 5, 19, even more clear. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Another reference to Satan. And I think that's why Satan took Jesus up on the mountain and offered to give him all the kings of the world, if he would just bow down and worship him. Listen to uh, the interchange here um, in Luke chapter 4, verse 5. 
And Satan led Jesus up and showed him all the kings of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. So God handed this world over to Satan for the time being. And so Satan is the evil mastermind behind all the wickedness and corruption in the world, the war and the murder and the rape and the abuse and abortion and sexual perversion. You fill in the blank there. He's behind all of it. And he has a highly sophisticated, well-organized army of fallen angels that, that, that all have different degrees of authority and, 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 and various ranks. And I think that's what verse 12 means back in Ephesians chapter 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers, against the world forces of the spiritual darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's almost as if, as if Paul uh, paraded the opposing spiritual army by us to, to intimidate us. It's like the, when the Russians or the Chinese, right, they, they have their military parades and they make sure they televise them so that we can see them. And they, and they, they bring all of their troops and they, they bring, you know, and they're all marching all together and they're doing this to the, right? And, and, and then all of a sudden here comes all their tanks and all their missiles and all their, all their uh, other weapons of warfare, and it's intended, what, to, to frighten us, right, and, and to give us a sobering glimpse of what they're capable of. And, and so this is what we have here is that I think we're given a, a frightening and sobering glimpse into the spiritual realm. And Satan's minions are strategically networked throughout the world to carry out his wishes. It's kind of like a spiritual mafia. And I think that's how... Satan is able to make it appear that he's just like God, that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's, he's everywhere at the same time, but guess what? He's not any of those things. Only God is omnipotent. Only God is omniscient. Only God is omnipresent. And hopefully this will encourage you, but I, I think it's highly unlikely that any of us will ever personally encounter Satan himself. That's a lot of ground to cover if you're one, one dude, one angel, right? And you're not omnipresent. And you're not all omniscient. It's not like Satan knows your thoughts. No, he just knows human beings really well. He, he's had lots of years to, to figure us out and, and, and what, what, what it takes to get us to fall. So it's not like Satan knows your thoughts, um, He's not all-knowing. He's, he's not everywhere. He's, he's at one place right now. Um, and again, this is important that we see here. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, as the, the kids kind of learn that, right? It's not against the, the, the people around us, okay? It's not other human beings. It, it's not godless philosophers. It's not evil dictators. It's not the liberal media. It's not the gays and the lesbians and abortion advocates and cultists. That's not, that's not who we're at war with. And that's the good thing to remember because sometimes Christians can be jerks when it comes to engaging those types of people, and that's not how we should be with them. We're not at war with them. The, the real battle is fought in the heavenlies against spiritual forces. 
Even though we can't see them, we're, we're, we're constantly surrounded by them. We don't have time to, to look at this this morning, but I put it in your, one of your questions there, the application questions, is to check out 2 Kings chapter 6. And this is a story where the king of Aram was getting hacked off at Elijah, the prophet, because it seemed like that, that everywhere Aram, he always knew where Aram was going to be. And, and so he was always tipping off the king of Israel. And so he, the king of Aram couldn't defeat Israel. And so he got really mad, so much so, he called all of his guys together. He goes, I smell a rat. All of his generals and, and whatever, uh, you know, corporals say, hey, I smell a rat in here. Which one of you guys is tipping off the king of Israel? And they're like, it's not us. It's Elijah. Like, he knows what you say in your bedroom. And so he says, where is the guy? I'm taking him out right now. I said, okay, we'll take it. We'll show you. And so they bring him out. Uh, they bring him out to where Elijah's at. And, um, and, and so apparently they were sleeping in a tent. And, and uh, Elijah's assistant comes out, kind of, you know, rubbing his eyes in the morning, and walks out of the tent. There's this army, enemy army. And they're there to take them in, to, 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 to arrest Elijah. And uh, so he probably goes back into the tent and says, hey, Elijah, you got to come out here, man. This is not looking good. And so he walks out of the tent. He looks. He says, what are you talking about? There's more with us than against us. And his assistant's looking at him going, what, what are you talking about, man? Don't you see? We're, we're outnumbered. Like way outnumbered. And Elijah prayed, right? I love this. He prayed, Lord, open up his eyes to see. And so as God opened up the servant's eyes, he gave him a glimpse into the spirit realm, and along the mountains, the mountains were lined with horses and flaming chariots that were there to fight for Elisha. I'll never forget reading about John Patton, who was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands, which are in the same vicinity as Fiji, where we're going to be hearing from, Lord willing, next week, Michael Seahus, who ministers down there, one of our missionaries that we support. But the, they were all cannibals. Just a few hundred years ago, right, when the missionaries first came, they were all cannibals. And they would literally eat the missionaries. When they'd show up, they'd land on their little islands, and they'd go, hey, there's supper. And they would kill them and eat them. And so he was putting his life on the line. He's putting his life on the line. He didn't just go by himself. He brought his wife and his new baby. And sadly, they contracted some disease, and he had to bury his wife and his little child on the beach in the sand and actually have to lay on their graves at night so that they wouldn't, the natives wouldn't come and dig them up and eat them. Well, Years later, when God used John Patton to lead a number of these cannibals to Christ, they were sitting around talking, and one of the natives asked him a question that, he was, that, that shocked him, and stunned him. And he simply said, hey, who were all those soldiers with flaming swords standing around your tent every night when you first arrived? Wow, kind of gives me the goosebumps, how about you? The truth of the matter is we are fighting in an invisible war with an invisible foe, 
and were wearing an invisible suit of armor. That's why we call it spiritual warfare. And I've got a lot more to say about Satan and how he works, but I can't do it in five minutes. So maybe this is a good place just to transition to what we're going to be looking at on Wednesday night. Again, we're talking about an invisible suit of armor. It's an invisible war, an invisible enemy, an invisible suit of armor. That's why this is so kind of freaky. Like, well, what, is it? what is this armor thing? Is it, is it this cardboard things the kids walked home with? No, that's not what he's, you know, talking about. Well, what is it? And I think because uh, this description of the armor of God uh, is is figurative, it's really kind of vague, it's, it's, it's nebulous, it's, it's, it's maybe perhaps mystical. Like, what, is it, what does it really mean? What, what is the belt of truth? What, what is the breastplate of righteousness? What, what is the, the, the having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel? Please? What, what does it mean to take up the shield of faith? What is the helmet of salvation? What is the sword of the Spirit? Well, that's the easiest one, right? We get that one. It's the Word of God. That's our weapon, right? But what, what, what do these things actually mean? And, and how do we practically put them on? What does that look like on a, on a daily basis to put these things on? That's, that's the question that we want to answer uh, this summer. Uh, to get us out of the, the, the kind of the mystical, nebulous realm of, oh, yeah, we, we, we have this spiritual armor. We have no clue what we're talking about. And, and, and probably a lot of Christians, you know, running around, you know, without their armor because they, they, they really don't know what it is and, and how, to, how to apply it. And so we'll start looking at that this Wednesday night, and then we'll just have to save the rest of this for next week because there's so much we need to, to learn here about how Satan works. And to, just, just to give you a little preview the primary way that Satan works is deception. Deception. He's an angel of light. He, he dresses himself up in a disguise to make us think he's someone that he's really not. And as um, the Puritan, I can't remember uh, the, the author, but the book is Precious remedies against Satan's devices. Precious remedies against Satan's devices. A great little Puritan paperback. And uh, one of the things I'll never forget from reading it is, is um, the, the simple principle that no matter, that, 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 that this is what Satan does, he presents the bait and he hides the hook. He presents the bait and he hides the hook. So no matter how good it may look, Remember, there's always a hook, right? And there's going to be, you're going to say, oh, that looks good. I'm going to hit that like a fish does a lure, right? That's you, you, you fishermen out there, right? You're, you're, you're deceivers. You're, you're just trying to trick fish. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get them to hit something that's not real, right? That lure, right? But that's the thing. You get them, but, and they think they're getting supper, and then they become supper. And that's what Satan wants to do with us. So we'll look at that next week. Um, and, and look how he works through deception and talk about how he's a murderer, a liar, an accuser, a binder, a blinder, a tempter. And uh, we're going to go to school on, on, on 
Adam and Eve in the garden and, in, and also Jesus in the wilderness and see what we can learn about Satan's tactics and, and, and his schemes and how he, he's, he's, just, he's doing the same thing. He's just getting better at it, okay? And we're going to talk about that. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time we've been able to uh, dive into this um, subject of angelology. And um, Lord, it's just so important that we understand these things and because they're, it's very practical for the way that we live our lives. And so I pray that you would uh, stir up many folks to show up on Wednesday nights or the next six Wednesdays, Lord, um, just to, to learn more about this, uh, what, what seems kind of a mysterious uh, concept of the armor of God, uh, Lord, that you would help us understand what that actually means and how we uh, put those things on. And so, Lord, would you help us uh, even this week, Lord, not to uh, underestimate Satan's power, nor would we exaggerate Satan's power, but that you would just help us to uh, stand firm um, and, and to, to, to be wise to his ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.